What's up, Bruin Bible listeners? This is your host, Will Decker. I uh, wanted to reach out and say thank you guys for all the listens, all the love. We see it on social media. We see it on YouTube. It has been sensational. And we want to encourage you guys, if you guys are enjoying the podcast and liking it, that you guys subscribe and like it, uh, whether it's on YouTube, on our UCLA LAFB channel, or the Bruin Bible, uh, to subscribe either through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, however you guys listen and react to it because it's going to allow us to do much greater things in the future. We're creators. We want to be giving the best Bruins content to all of our UCLA listeners. The only way we can do that is if we have a fan base that is locked in and helping us out. So we appreciate you guys. We love you guys. If you guys have been liking it, please help us out with a like and subscribe. Bruin Bible listeners, Will Decker here in the house with the main man, the madman. And I want to start off with a quote from this, from our guy, Sam Conan, who tweeted this out today. He goes, uh, after the breaking of Chip Kelly will remain at UCLA tweet, he goes, my investment tip of the day, buy stock in LA-based tarp companies because there are going to be little to no fans out there with UCLA likely bringing back Chip Kelly after two of the most embarrassing losses in a three-week span that this university has ever had. I'm upset about it, incredibly upset about it. I was distraught today when i saw the news coming up and you know no i didn't go to ucla but i'm very proud of what this university has to offer and me being able to cover them and being close to the you know football program i went to every single spring practice you and i uh you know talk and commiserate after these games man we get excited about it and you know for the university to turn a blind eye on what chip kelly has trotted out there despite having you know a top 25 rushing offense in the country this year, despite having arguably the best defense we've had in like 30, 35 years to lose to Arizona State and to lose to Cal literally make little brother Cal get bowl eligible after that victory and a 33 to seven drubbing. It just breaks my heart, man. It breaks my heart, man. Man, I know you were at the game. Talk to me about what's going on because I, I need a little consoling right now, man. I'm I'm depressed. Like, how do you bring this guy back? It's unbelievable. I saw the Bulls tweet that officially confirmed him coming back. It's sad, man. It's really, really sad to see where we're at for UCLA, especially going into the Big Ten Conference next year when our schedule is daunting as hell. Thriller, I mean, I uh, I need consoling too, you know. So, uh, you know, maybe we can sort of lean on each other, uh, you know, because I don't, I don't know if I – it's sort of when you're in a relationship, you know, when you're like in a codependent relationship with someone who's like battling addiction or something. And you're like, you know, I, I can't be strong enough for the both of us. Like, that's <laughs> how I feel right now. Like, I can't yeah. be strong enough for the both of us. You know, Will, I've, I've sort of been through the ringer and back emotionally, you know, the last three weeks. I mean, obviously, you and I kind of rode out Chip Island, you know, the two of the last guys on there, um, you know, and then. You know, I, I sort of stayed on there after the Arizona game and then Arizona State happened and it just it was inexcusable. It was indefensible. And, and I, I, you know, I, I, I was like, there's no there's no path forward with Chip. And then 
you know, when you're in pain and you're numb and then somehow he yanks this game out against USC and, and everyone gets galvanized. And, and I fell for it. I fell for it. And I was like, you know, if he can, if he can just sort of circle the wagons and, and win uh, the Cal game, get to eight and four, get some momentum, you know, that given some of the, the, I think, university dynamics, that probably gets him another year and another shot at it. And then, I mean, we follow up that with, I mean, 33 to seven. Will Cal couldn't move the ball worth a lick the whole night. They couldn't move the ball. It was, it was a kickoff return for a touchdown. It was the turnovers that gave him the ball at the 10 yard line repeatedly. And, you know, we just sort of gave them the game, uh, given where this team was offensively. I mean, it was gut wrenching. I was watching the game with the chancellor. I was watching the game with uh, university administrators. I was bashing my head in uh, against the, the glass wall, making noises. I have bruises on my head. Um, you know, I probably was concussed uh, the way maybe Dante Moore was in that game. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't know what time it is right now. I don't know what year it is. You know, I mean, it's uh, we're sort of uh, at where we're at. And it's, you know, look, I, I was I was sort of dead wrong at the end there. I, I wanted to believe so much in uh, in some momentum going into next year and and to to not you know sort of make a change after the way that season ended when you talk about getting outscored 50 to 14 in the two home games when you talk about seven points in three separate games when you talk about 10 points against Arizona it's uh it's sort of uh really difficult to comprehend moving forward um, you know, what the rationale is. I mean, we'll, we'll try and sort of get into it. We're not going to defend it. All we can do is kind of try and explain it. Um, but uh, it's, 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 it's a sad day right now. And, and to sort of compound insult to injury, you know, we see all of the individuals now in the transfer portal. I mean, Keegan Jones, Cam Brown, uh, there's going to be more to come. Derek McFall, the, the prized recruit for UCLA, just uh, signed, committed to SMU. Uh, uh, 12 hours ago. And so, you know, this is now going to be uh, potentially uh, an exit stage right for, for a lot of players moving forward. And I'm deeply concerned about the state of the program next year going into Big Ten play. You know, Will, it's so ironic. We talk so much about momentum going into the Big Ten and yeah. we were so encouraged. I just think back, I mean, look where we were a year ago. I mean, just uh, maybe a year and a week ago, this team was, you know, eight and one. Uh, you know, getting ready to play Arizona, number 12 in the country. We were talking about DTR being a dark horse Heisman contender, win one game, play SC, and maybe the, one of the great victory bell games in, in sort of historic memory, opportunity for a pactal title, opportunity for a dark horse CFP run. I mean, we were just jiving. And to go from there to where we are today, it feels like, you know, we were on Pluto last year, and, and this year we're in, in an alternate universe. And so... Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a hard day. It's really a hard day as someone who, who bleeds for this university, two-time alum, growing up loving uh, this university and this program, growing up on Cade McNown and, and going through all the ups and downs of, you know, 50 to nothing and, and, and losing to Stanford with, with a Pac-12 on the line and all these different moments over the course of UCLA football history that, that makes you sort of numb to pain after a certain period of time. But, but this, is, this is definitely a day um, that, that hurts very deeply. It does, man. And it's, you know, I think because we, we talked about the Arizona State game and how impactful that was. The firing talk started that week, and there yep. was a large amount of pressure on that. And then he goes out and beats USC. And I think 
from my personal standpoint, I think emotions were running high after that victory. And they went in there and made a, a promise that, hey, you did it. You're going to keep your job. They don't want to go back on their word. That's my intention. Because if you look at the history of UCLA football, no coach has been fired. After yeah, that was the Bulls line. Yep. You know, it's it's just something that's chaotic and crazy and just – I, I don't know how you do it because if you really look at the two wins that have saved Chip's job up to this point, it was the 2021 game where DTR went crazy against a 4-8 and eight USC team that was manned by Dante Williams at that point. And then this year, a team that, for all intents and purposes, pretty much quit at the end of the season, completely quit out there. I think if you ask any USC fan, they'd give you the same answer right now, given how their season's ended. So are those two wins worthy of like allowing this guy to continue his job? And I know last year I was not in the camp of, you know, getting him fired. Yes. The Arizona loss stung. Yes. The Sun Bowl was even worse, man, given, you know, the players that they had out there. But if these two USC wins are the sole reason you're really willing to move forward with the guy, I've got a lot of problem with that, given the quality of those teams. You know, I know, I know rivalry games are bigger than others and stuff like that. You look at some of the coaches we just missed on. I mean, Jonathan Smith was out there to be had. Yep. I mean, this guy, you saw in his introductory press conference, it was on the side with the reporter. He goes, I knew I was going to leave Oregon State for a long time. You know, I want to play in the Power 2 Conference. This guy was born in Pasadena. Like, it makes so much sense to go after this guy. Jed Fish is about to sign an extension, yep. you know, with Arizona. These guys were out to be had. I know Jed Fish, if somebody came calling from these big two conferences, which is going to be the – you know, the new dominant landscape of college football, these guys would have been, you know, willing to have a meeting at the very least before trying to get out there. So that's the frustrating part is you had very quality guys out there. You had, even if you like Tim Elko, I mean, I wasn't as high on Elko as some other people, but Hey, I could have been talked into it if he came and sold all the right points. It's just frustrating, man. And yeah, like, well. you know, some of the points that I got, you know, and some of the tweets from the fan base, uh, you know, UCLA led the Pac-12, Madman. This is from our guy Peter Eric in attendance less than 10 years ago. At yep, with Mora in 14. Yep. Yeah. You know, with games above 80K. All 90 to 95% UCLA fans, according to Peter Eric, you know, outside of the USC game. What is it going to look like next year? You know, I the fan base, you know, has never liked Chip. We've been fighting this Chip narrative since the beginning, it's felt like. And we were the last on the island, it felt like, man. You know, we were cast away. We got left in the middle of the ocean. Go check my Twitter the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm, I'm public enemy number one, you know. Uh, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, Will, I, I'll, I'll, the one thing I'll say is it, it really hurts because, you know, there's some stereotypes that you want to break so badly in, in your life. And as someone who's grown up, born and raised in L.A., you know, affiliated with both schools. I, everyone knows that, been very transparent about that. You know, there's a perception of USC football wants to win championships and UCLA football wants to beat USC football. And it just, you know, you're trying to break that perception so much over the years. And, you know, when, when decisions like this happen, it, it really makes you sort of question to, to the core of your being there. Uh, you know, Will, I think where uh, you talked about the situation of, hey, you know, we kind of gave our word and we went back on it. Here's here's sort of my narrative of what I believe happened. Again, I'm not defending it, so I don't want people to, to take it wrong. Like I'm, you know, pro chip here in, in this situation. So I'm just going to share what I think 
um, is the rationale. And, and again, I don't agree with it. And I think you and I both disagree with it. But I think this is the rationale. I think there's sort of four factors at play. I think the first is that this is Chancellor Block's last year at UCLA after 17 years. And I think there was perhaps a hesitancy to make a change at the head coaching position for the football program when you're six months out from leaving as chancellor and potentially allowing the new chancellor to establish a vision for athletics, establish a vision for the football program and be empowered to bring in their type of leader for the football program. So I think that was perhaps a factor. I think second, Will, is we also have to talk about athletic director Martin Jarman. I mean, I think there's been murmurs about, you know, him potentially with that Ohio State job. Gene Smith is his mentor. Um, you know, he, he's from he's worked at Ohio State. You know, he's worked at places like Michigan State as well. He's more of a Midwest Big Ten type of guy. There have been murmurs. There has been a little bit of chatter that he's sort of itching to go back to the Midwest in some capacity geographically. And so I think it's if you're not completely invested with both feet in the pool as the athletic director and you've got one feet out of the pool and you're looking at all of your options, you are going to hesitate making a, a major change like this if you feel like you're going to leave pretty soon. And again, in a sort of a similar capacity there. Um, and then when you sort of factor in a university needing to change their chancellor, their athletic director, and their football coach all within a five or six or seven month period, it, there is some sort of organizational instability there, right? Like who's going to make those choices when no one is in the door whatsoever. So I think that played a bit of a role. Third will, and, and we talked about this is, the, you know, the Wasserman endorsement. I mean, yeah. you know, this is not, again, for as much as we love UCLA, this is not a kind of a blue blood SEC program or a blue blood Big Ten program where you have 20, 30, 40, 50 big time football boosters that are going to write seven figure checks uh, anytime you want to sort of buy out a coach or get a great coordinator or establish an ill program at UCLA, those big time athletic donors are probably on one hand and no bigger than Casey Wasserman. And if Casey Wasserman says, Hey, it's ridiculous. If uh, Chip Kelly gets fired, that's a hard person to sort of go against whether you are the chancellor, whether you are the athletic director, whether you are other boosters. Again, I'm not defending it. I'm just, you know, allowing people to kind of get into the mindset a little bit. And then fourth, Will, I think we can't underestimate the political dynamic. Let's not forget this uh, program was this athletic department was 51.7 million in debt. That is what drove kind of the Big Ten deal to begin with. It was sort of financial liquidity. It was sort of financial freedom to be able to do the things that they wanted to. But if you look back and say, what was the root cause of the 51.7 million? It was dead money to coaches and buyouts, right? When you look at Steve Alford, when you look at Jim Mora's contract, that was all dead money that contributed a great deal to the 51.7 million. And then when you factor in how contentious a political battle it was for UCLA to go to the Big Ten, to have to fight the Regents, to have to fight Cal, to have to fight Gavin Newsom, to do all of those things. And then what's the first thing that they do when they you know, come to the other side of this? It's, oh, we're going to buy out another coach and get back to dead money. I think that there's, I think, some political fallout there where potentially the, the powers that be didn't have the appetite for. So I think it's those four elements. I think it's the Chancellor Block element, the Jarmond element, the Wasserman element, and then I think the, the, the financial responsibility element 
I think ha has played a role here in, in why Chip is coming back. Again, I'm not defending it. I'm just trying to explain it. Yeah, I get it, man. Under Armour deal has to be accounted for that too when we signed on for that huge paycheck that just, you know, was not, uh, you know, an apparel that recruits identified with at the time. So it's tough, man. You know, I, I've kind of gone through a lot of different scenarios and just to lose like that, like you mentioned, you brought up the Regents meeting with Cal. Like the last official Cal game on a football field, you're going to go out, not a, not just bad, but like 33 to seven bad. Like that is unbelievable. And, you know, the, the coach we saw with Chip Kelly, man, like to all of his faults, I just think he's underperformed every, I mean, even if you look at last year, we had a dark horse Heisman candidate, the best running back west of the Mississippi. We had Latu, who was like a second team All-American last year. We put the most players from the Pac-12 and in the NFL the last, and like we're looking at eight, nine wins. I mean, it was just, we have the classic Chip Kelly trap games like we've been accustomed to as people that have covered the program. And then you've got the Arizona State loss in the Cal. Like those are just horrendous losses on all levels. I mean, we saw what Arizona State did before and after that game. I mean, the drubbing to Utah. The Arizona lost. I mean, they got run out of the field in Tucson. Just embarrassing, man. And to, like, make Cal Bull eligible, the little brother, like, last time you play them, that is a loss that just holds more significantly more weight than an average Pac-12 loss, in my opinion, just because of all the stuff we've been through with the regions and fighting for that. And, you know, just to kind of touch more on some of the, you know, offensive dynamics I've seen from Chip, you're supposed to be an offensive genius. That's how you've positioned yourself. That's how we know. With Dante Moore, man, your job is to make his job easier out there. You know, and I, I hope Ethan Garbers is healthy. I know I'd love to see him in the bowl game if we can, whether that's the L.A. Bowl or, you know, out in Louisiana. But ever since we've gotten into conference play, it just seems like the play calling has been so confusing with Dante, and there's been no catch up there. And I – you can blame an 18-year-old kid coming into that situation, but I've also never been impressed with making his job easier, which is, hey, what are we good at? We run the football very well. When you're throwing the ball at a 4-1 to one rate, that drives me crazy as somebody because we were moving the football, and yes, we ran for 72 yards in that game. 30, minus 34 of those yards were sack yards from Dante Moore, which means, you know, we decreased that from the like overall total. It's just so frustrating on so many levels, man. Well, and the the one thing I'll say there to to just piggyback on on your point, you yeah. know, there was a couple of dynamics be, being there live and and watching the game. Dante's confidence was shot. Oh, you yeah. know, at, at the at when he was brought into that game, you could tell there was no belief in in his eyes, and I think that him getting you know, kind of roughed up middle of the season and then getting benched. I think it, it has still played a tremendous role on his psyche. Um, you know, there was that one play where you saw him kind of get hit, you know, front side, not blind side, but he was kind of looking down the field and he was standing straight up. Will, I mean, there was no sort of bend in the knees, ball popped out. And so it was really just painful to watch such a prodigy kind of struggle with confidence because you know how much talent there is and what upside this kid has. And when you sort of see that, and you recognize you're dealing with a quarterback who's really fragile right now, confidence-wise. You don't have your starter. You don't have your third stringer in Chile. So what do, you, what do you have to do? You have two choices here. You have to either simplify the playbook with the kid that you have, or you have to try and bring in a Chase Griffin. I think that where 
the mistake was to to your point here, Will, completely is I think had he pulled him a second time, I think they would have been really tough to sort of recover confidence wise in the offseason. But what he clearly made huge mistakes on is where was Keegan Jones? Where was the running game? Where oh, was yeah. Hudson Habermill? Where was the ability to just kind of go straight check to the tight end? What were the plays that worked so well against SC? It was kind of crossers with tight ends, simple throws, simple balls out in the flat. You know, the fact that we were still making him go through two, three, and four progressions, having to still have him throw the ball down the field, when you could have mixed it up. You could have mixed it up with Harden and Steele. Bring in an Atkins to run the ball in short yardage. Bring in a Yankoff to sort of run in, in short to intermediate yardage. Let Keegan Jones be your home run guy. Let Keegan Jones be a screen guy. You know, bring in some wide receiver screens with a Cam Brown. Get the tight end more involved. Do simple things that were going to be effective to, A, move the ball down the field. And in that process, you would have rebuilt his confidence because the fact that, that Dante's confidence was so low, going and doing the same thing, uh, you know, in these, in these sort of deeper progression, more complex plays, is only going to send him more in a tailspin from a confidence standpoint. And so I thought Chip just, just managed that game so poorly um, in on a night where the defense, it doesn't look like it on the scoreboard, Will. The defense was dominant yet again. I mean, Cal couldn't do anything the whole night. And to look up and, and see you lose by four touchdowns to a team that couldn't score, it's unfathomable. It's unfathomable, man. And uh, it's just, it's frustrating going into the Big Ten season next year. And you brought up some great points. I mean, I've never understood why we didn't give Keegan Jones a little bit more of a chance. Even Cam Brown, a guy that has yep. been a forward in this program that, you know, has made big catches, has been in big games outside of the, you know, North Carolina Central long touchdown. I, I don't even know if I heard from Cam Brown in the last six or seven games. It's just been like, you know, this guy's a veteran in the process. I know he's got game. Why aren't we targeting this guy? Keegan Jones. Washington State game, we dubbed that the Keegan Jones game because he came back and made some incredible plays in that game to save it. And then you just shelf him on the bench like he's a nobody when this guy is a clear difference maker. Every, I mean, look at the Oregon State game. We were raving about the hurdle. He did Absolutely. a split in the open field. Like, it's just bad coaching, man. And, like, don't even get me started on the special teams. Don't even get me started on the offensive line. I love DeAnton Lynn. But he's going to have his work cut out for him next year with our whole front seven leaving off this best defensive unit going into a brand new conference that has a higher level of play, in my opinion, than where we're at now. So, I mean, not only is he going to have to completely rebuild this, he doesn't get out there and recruit. We're going to have to knock it out of the freaking park once again in the transfer portal, which, I mean, these NIL dollars. I mean, have you seen the fan base today, whether on social yeah. media, on message boards? Not a lot of NIL dollars coming their way outside of Wasserman. So it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough, Will. It's it's uh, really when you when you think about the possibility of who's leaving, you know, and, and we already talked about the two guys that have already. I mean, think about it, right? They didn't even wait for, you know, the bowl game to be decided or the window to open. I mean, yeah. they had their Instagram stories ready and the whole deal. <laughs> the moment, you know, it was Monday morning. I mean, they were gone. It, it just tells you how frustrated they were because they're both such talented kids. I mean, it's remarkable. See Keegan Jones walk out the door. See Cam Brown walk out the door. Of course, Latu is going to the NFL. Moasa was done with eligibility. The Murphy twins are probably leaving. You look at J. Mike is another guy who, oh he's, if God. he's not looking at the NFL, he's looking at the transfer portal, considering how talented he is. 
Um, you know, what does Carson Steele do at this point in terms of tread on his tires and an opportunity to go to the NFL? I mean, when you start looking at the landscape of who is leaving this team, and then when you sort of overlay that on the fact that UCLA currently does not have a single four-star recruit uh, signed for 2024, um, there, there's just scary, scary propositions. And, and Will, you know, I've lived through a lot of heartbreak with UCLA football. I mean, the battle scars are very deep for me. Um, you know, I was there. I mean, I, I remember being a kid for the Melsby fumble. I was there in the Ron Dane Rose Bowl game. I remember the 50 to nothing game. I remember holding hands with my dad at, at Stanford for the, the field goal to sort of force overtime for the Pac-12 championship in Hundley's freshman year. I mean, there's a lot of pain um, that, that sort of I've been through over the years um, for, for my beloved Bruins. Um, but I, I don't know if I've ever been as scared as, as, I, as I have been uh, today in terms of what the future is going to be, particularly the near-term future in in 2024 you know will we talk so much about momentum i'll, I'll bring that up again yeah. and, and you know the importance of having momentum going into the big 10 and 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 kind of needing to sort of establish that i mean could you have picked a more doomsday scenario than the one we're in right now uh in terms of lack of momentum going into going into big 10 play it, it's really it's really frightening right now uh moving forward and i i just i just hope that there is something ahead here. I mean, I still want to believe so much in, in this university and in this program. I, I know the one thing I'll say is there's still some confusion, Will, uh, and I don't know the answer. I, I'm not sure. I don't think you do either. I'm not sure we kind of definitively know the answer about Chip's buyout. You know, I know there were there were sort of, you know, reports about December 1st being kind of the date where his buyout goes from 8.5 to 4.25. You know, are, are they are they just waiting for December 1st to be able to make this happen, to be sort of financially responsible? I know Ben Bolch wrote an article about, you know, Chip coming back. It was with the Bruin Report online. You know, love the Bruin Report online guys, but they're not always sort of accurate right off the bat. So they're still, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm grasping at straws here. I'm grasping, um, you know, in thin air right now that, hey, maybe this isn't real yet. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm going through my stages of grief and the first is just denial. Um, yeah. And so maybe maybe this hasn't happened yet. And maybe there's still an opportunity here uh, in December 1st. But this is I just don't I mean, the signal that you're giving as a university is, hey, football is just not a priority. And, and, it, and it, it sort of pains me to even say those words. But it's hard to believe otherwise um, when you know, you look at other programs that are, you know, are kind of replacing coaches left and right, whether it's midseason or the first thing Sunday morning. Um, even if you look at USC across town, Will, I mean, Alex Ringe got fired kind of Sunday morning, you know, the, the very next day after the Washington game. And so the fact that you let Sunday go, you let all of Monday go, um, hard to believe that, uh, you know, there's there's light at the end of this tunnel here. And and again, I mean, I think Chip is a really good man, but it's 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 really time to move on. There there needs to be a new energy. There needs to be a new strategy because at the end of the day, there's so much to love about this university. And I know you you talked about some of the the tweets about hey, this place was humming 2012, 2013, yeah. 2014 with Mora. Yeah, I mean, there were the alternative uniforms. The crowd was buzzing. There was a really good product on the field. It was you know 29 wins in three years. It really was you know, the peak of, of the last 25 years was, was that three-year period. And it showed that it's possible for UCLA to be 
a great football school and to have just as much buzz as anybody else on the West Coast and, and be that sort of iconic program that we all know that they can be again, that they were back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And so moving forward, um, I just hope that there's an opportunity to sort of galvanize that again, and uh, and we'll see where this goes. Yeah, and kind of some final parting shots here. Um, you know, UCLA, you claim uh, to be, and you are in so many ways, you know, raising the bar, the standard for other universities, not only in the United States, but around the world, and have such a history of success and doing the right things and being ahead of the curve. Read the freaking room right now. You guys have a coach that nobody wants here that has dramatically underperformed over the past few years. Change is needed. And if it wasn't evident last year, it clearly is right now. Uh, so you guys, we were some of your last supporters, you know, going for UCLA football. If you guys are listening, Jarman, you're a friend of the show. I like you. I think you're an awesome person. Make the change, man, because you're losing just about everything you've built up in terms of goodwill amongst this fan base. Guys, we hope well, to the one thing I'll say yeah. to, to that, just to sort of add to the conversation here is I think what I'm looking for, I know the fans are are really, really emotional right now. And I'm, I'm kind of trying to keep it together yeah. um, to sort of be rational. Um, I think the one thing I would just love to see is transparency. Yeah. I, I don't even know if if, I, you know, obviously, you know, the fans feel very strongly about a change. We do, too. But but if. You know, th there's also kind of a dollars and cents element here, right? Like there's only you, you have a budget, you know, you know how you say kind of champagne taste on a beer budget, you know? And so sometimes I think, you know, whether whether we maybe maybe we have a champagne taste, but we don't know we're on a beer budget. I mean, and I think one one thing that I would love to just see Martin and, and, and the rest of the leadership team say is, look, man, here's the situation. OK, we have like two or three mega donors that are willing to fork over $4 million, $5 million, $8 million checks. Like, there's only two or three of those folks at, at UCLA. There, there's 20 or 30 or 40 at these other schools. There's only two or three of them here. One of them has come out and said, I'm not paying for the buyout, period. So go find the money somewhere else if you want to do this without me. And there just may not be a path there to find that money. Uh, and, and, you know, even if he kind of came out and sort of laid out the, the, the specifics and say, hey, listen, this is kind of the situation that we're living in here, guys. We're not, you know, we don't have the budgets that maybe you think we do or, or here is sort of how this thing sort of lays out. And I think even if he kind of came out and said, here's our reality. And so given our reality, we have to sort of make some difficult choices and, and move forward. I think the fan base would actually really appreciate that also, because it's at least you're being honest you're being empathetic, you're being transparent with the fans, and you're letting them in on your decision. I think the, the biggest mistake that can be made, obviously the coaching change has to be a priority, has to be the thing that you do. But even more than that, I think is the lack of transparency. The longer you go quiet, the more angry people are going to get and the more their opinions, their thoughts, their theories are going to be sort of reinforced. And it's going to be sort of all these narratives are going to take on a greater life and then kind of become truth, right? And then it sort of becomes this world of revisionist history. So I think either way, whether you're, you're bringing him back or you're not, you know, you're not because that's sort of the right thing to do, Will, to your point of reading the room, or if you do because, hey, maybe you just don't have another financial choice and you just have to, uh, I think it's really important to just come out and say it. And I think, you know, great leaders, whether it's 
in politics, for countries, for organizations, for companies, great coaches. You know, there, there's an art of being able to tell bad news, but be able to tell bad news in a respectful way, in an empathetic way. And so often in the world, we sort of hide from it. When we, when we don't have good news to tell, we don't like to say it. You know, we like to sort of hide from it. This is really an opportunity, I think, for Martin Jarman to show himself as a tremendous leader to say, hey, listen, I don't have good news here. We just can't afford it. And, and you know, here's, here's what we have to do moving forward. And I just love to see the transparency. I'd appreciate it, man. You know, if just any semblance of the reasoning as to why. Because exactly. you know, I theorized it was the USC win where they kind of promised him he can keep the job. You know, you're theorizing it may be a money issue. I just want to hear what it is because right. we're frustrated as hell. You know, guys, I put in a lot of hours covering this team. Like, I edit the podcast. I get the podcast going. Madman take Madman and I take time out of our weeks to make sure that we can get this content out. And, you know, I care about UCF. This is not somebody that's, you know, in and out with this. I care about UCF. Football. Absolutely. Well, you know. Mad. That's why no, we, we both have a passion. I mean, you know, we got the we got the pod. We're putting out content. We're writing. You know, there's just so much for the, the school. We're, we're at the games. You know, we we care about the school so deeply. We care about the program, the values, everything that it stands for. Um, it's just a tough day. And um, it's hard. It's really hard, you know. And uh, as as someone who just, uh, you know, cares very deeply, sometimes, you know, you get you sort of get your heart broken so many times that you're sort of numb to it. Yeah. And um, I'm kind of in that numb stage right now. You know, you're still kind of, you know, Will, you're like the young, you know, 22 year old supermodel who's like, you know, uh, you know, you, you, you were told no, you know, the first time. And so you're sort of like <laughs> devastated, you know, and I'm like the, you know, sort of like the mid 40s past, you know, his or her prime, you know, been told no a lot, you know. And so <laughs> now the self-deprecation is starting to take over a little bit. Um, and so we're just kind of handling our emotions in different ways right now. But, um, you know, at least at least I get to do this with you, brother. You know, at least we get to share it together and we get to share it with with our fans. And please, by all means, go ahead and and tell me that I'm a nut job as you have been the last few weeks. Uh, you know, I can't be feeling any worse than I am right now. Yeah, no. Well, I'm grateful to be doing this with you, too, man. And just, you know, let's hope for better days, guys. That's all we can hope for. And, you know, there's a real chance to right this situation. You know, hopefully. It is that December buyout where they're just waiting for that time period. But, you know, as of now, you know, let's try to stay positive. Let's try to find some silver linings in here and, you know, hope that UCLA football is in a position next year where they're better off than they are today. Uh, so, guys, much love. Uh, fours up as always. And let's hope to get a bowl win at the very least. We'll be back at some point uh, in the next few weeks talking about the bowl game and when that's announced. Uh, so we'll be talking to you guys soon.